Holy Spirit just said to me, just while we were singing that song, God never gives any of us the silent treatment. Have you ever had the silent treatment from somebody? Oh yeah, you've had the silent treatment. You felt their displeasure. You felt that something's wrong. You felt that, or they they may be making you feel that they're not happy with you. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, because He loves us, He never, ever gives us the silent treatment. And right now, I believe very simply that He wants to speak as I speak God's Word to you just for a short time today. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to, in His way, speak to each one of our hearts. It may be just the simplest thought that comes alive in your mind. You know, maybe some today, your life is just like, you know, that candle that's flickering in the wind. And maybe it's the flame has been extinguished and the wick is just like an ember. And it seems smoky and it seems to have gone out. Your hope for life, your hope for good things, your, your hope for a future and your downcast. And God says to you today, I can rekindle that flame. I can. And it may be just the simplest little word in your heart. Not even a word from my mouth, just the Holy Spirit going among us, just whispering something into your heart or into your mind. And suddenly, that smoldering wick comes alive again and begins to burn bright again. He's got something to speak to each one of our hearts this morning. I really, really do believe that. He's not giving any one of us the silent treatment. Yeah, but you don't know what I was up to last night. Yeah, but God does. You don't know what I did. You don't know what was done to me. You don't know everything that's gone on, but God does. And people may be giving you the silent treatment, but God Because we can't be separated from that love of God that reaches to us in Christ Jesus. We can never be separated from us. Because of that, he has something to say. He says, a smoldering wick I will never stamp out. A bruised reed I will never, ever break. Isn't that great news? Amen. You can be seated. Fantastic. I'm not going to minister too long, maybe 25 minutes, 30 minutes max this morning. And if that happens, it's a miracle. But uh, we've had some wonderful things happen already in the service this morning, so time may have may have gone a little. But I want to continue this morning on what I started uh, to look at just the week before last about growing in the grace of God. Growing in the grace of God. It's so wonderful to have Jesus at the center of your life because he enables you to grow. He's got plans for you. He's got plans 
of, of, uh, to, give you a fu- to, to give you a hope and to give you a future. He's got so many wonderful things in store for all of our lives. And it's Jesus and Jesus alone by his grace in our lives that enables us to grow. Maybe today we've looked at our lives, I said last time, maybe we've looked at our lives and, you know, we're disappointed by the progress. We're disappointed by the achievements of our lives. Lots of times I've looked at my life as a Christian, I've sat down and it's as if, you know, everything comes at you and you weigh it all up and you put it all on the table and all of the facts and all of the evidence is before you and you wonder, am I really a Christian? Because you fail to perform. You, 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 you fail in so many areas. In fact, the Bible says that, you know, we stumble and fall in many ways. And because of that, very often we get disappointed by our performance in life. And somehow we think that God is unhappy with us. God is angry with us. God distances himself. God gives us a silent treatment because we're not performing well. We're not doing as well as what we thought we were doing. But the great news is, the good news of the gospel is this, that it's not about our performance. It really isn't. The great, wonderful news about salvation is that it's a free gift from God. It's nothing that you can earn. It's nothing that you can deserve. It's nothing that you can merit. It's completely free. It's a gift from God. You didn't earn it or deserve it, or merit it, to be given it. You've been given it, and because it started in, 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 in a wonderful way, in a free way, in, in an expression of God's grace to you, it'll be sustained in that way too. You don't have to sustain your salvation. It's been given to you freely as a result of God's grace, as a result of God's kindness, as a result of what he's done in Jesus Christ for you and I. Sometimes we get disappointed by our performance. Sometimes we get disappointed by the things that we do and we weigh all the facts and we bring all the evidence to the table and it leaves us wondering, am I really what I sing about on a Sunday? Am I really this this follower of Jesus that I once thought I was? Well, I believe that God, by his grace, wants to awaken, awaken within us. Again, a confidence that Paul spoke about in his letters to Christians that were having trouble with their performance. He said, listen, guys, we can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work within us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul talks about this wonderful confidence that you and I can have as a result of God's grace in our lives, as a result of the salvation that has come to us, as a result of Jesus being so kind to us. It's a confidence not based on our works. It's a confidence not based on on effort and stress. It's a confidence that's based on rest in what Jesus has done for us. He said, be confident about the very thing, this very thing. Jesus has begun a good work in you and he will perform it. He will perform it. And also, to the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says this, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He did not say, look at yourself, examine your own performance, see if you're ticking all the right boxes, see if things are going well with how you're performing your religious duties. No, he said, looking unto Jesus, the author, the one that's begun this salvation in you, looking unto him. Look unto him. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at anybody else. If you want to see somebody that's finished the work, if you want to see somebody that's perfected it for you, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What he's started, he will finish. He doesn't need us to get involved in the project. He doesn't need us to, you know, at some point do it ourselves. No, he just needs us to rest and trust and rely on the fact that he's begun this work in us and he will finish it. He will finish it. We're a work in progress. We really are. To the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13, Paul again speaking to a crowd of people, a church, that was restless, speaking to a church that, that, that was struggling, that was hearing many voices, that had to battle with the same issues that you and I battle with, said this, it's God that works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Relax, rest, allow God to work within you. He's going to unpack his good pleasure on your life. Why you? Because he's decided that he's going to lavish his grace. He's going to lavish his kindness upon you. You mean that God's not angry with me? You mean that God's not frustrated with me? You mean that God's not disappointed by my performance? No, he's not disappointed by your performance. I tell you what, he's overjoyed with Jesus' performance. He's overjoyed with what Jesus did on the cross when he said, it is finished, it's complete, nobody can take away from it, nobody can add to it. It's the king that's done it. He's purchased it all for us and there's no, there's no more work to do, friends. Just for us to rely and trust on the work that God has done for us. Do you know many times we have all kinds of mixed pictures about God, all kinds of different images as to who God is. When we're growing up, these pictures are formulated in full color. Some of us have grown up with a picture that God is angry, that God's out to get us, that God's out to trap us, that God's out to, you know, tempt us and to, to, to give us a good thing only to turn around and slap us in the face. We have all of these images that our mind is bombarded with. You know, some of us think that, you know, God is distant and removed from our lives. And all of these pictures dominate all of these pictures are very real, not only in our lives, but they're very real in the world in which we live. 
For instance, lots of occasions I've, you know, chatted with people and, you know, in the course of conversation, it gets round to me telling them about my love and my life in Jesus. And then suddenly the conversation changes. Suddenly the conversation begins to go down. Suddenly the conversation, I mean, I'm happy to talk to anybody about Jesus. I remember one day, me and my friend were coming back from South Africa. It was a 12-hour flight. And um, we were flying home from South Africa, back to this country. And for 10 solid hours, we talked about Jesus. It was wonderful. We couldn't stop it. We were talking, and do you remember when he did this? And do you remember when he said that? And, and what about that in the Bible? And all this, that, and the other. And we were talking. I promise you, 10 solid hours, it wasn't even hard. Because he's the joy of our hearts, isn't he? He's the love of our life. It's so easy. Our whole, our whole minds, our whole lives are in him. In him we live. In him we have our being. And it was easy. We weren't trying, you know, to, you know, to get brownie points. It was the easiest thing in the world. Ten hours had gone by and then suddenly a woman turned around in front of us and she said, My God, can't you shut up about Jesus? My friend looked at me and I looked at him and smiled. She sat down very angrily. What was happening? Our joy for Jesus was not her joy. She had a very different picture. She had a very different idea about Jesus and about the God the, the loving God in heaven that wants to reach our lives. Maybe that lady, unfortunately, had a very hard idea about God. Maybe she thought that God was angry. Maybe our conversation for 10 hours was just salt in an open wound. But with all of the pictures that we have, the Bible wants to give us a clear picture as to who Jesus is. If you want to see who Jesus is, if you want to see who God is and not who the media present him as, have you seen what the media presents God as? A man with an old gray beard with a stick in his hand, troubled and anxious and scowls on his face, distant and removed from need. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 1, let me, let, let's turn there, John chapter 1. John wants to bring a description, a picture about who Jesus is to us, as he did to all of the many Christians and followers of that time. And he tells us very clearly who Jesus was when he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten son of the father. Listen to this. Full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You want a picture about Jesus? You want to see who Jesus is? 
Turn away from the voices of this world. Turn away from the images that bombard you by the media and turn to the Word of God and understand what John is saying. Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. When people met Jesus for the first time, they didn't, some, they didn't meet somebody that was issuing rules and regulations. They didn't meet somebody that was trying to correct them with a stick. They didn't meet somebody that was pointing out their wrongs and pointing out their mistakes and examining their performance. They met a man that gladly spent time with sinners gladly relaxed in the presence of people that were never welcomed in the temple. They met a man that was bursting with love for anybody and everybody. It didn't matter if you were in high society or in low society. He was full of grace for everyone, full of kindness, full of favor, full of blessing. And he just wanted to use his life to dispense blessing, dispense the kindness of God. As he walked down the street, he didn't spend his time, you know, straight jacketed in a temple. He went out, just like we go out every day into our highway and into our byway of life. He went out, he sat in people's homes and he talked to them. He sat in people's homes and he listened to their problems. He went down the street and he couldn't walk past an infirmed person without dispensing grace to heal it. He didn't make a big show. He didn't say, you know, he didn't come down the street shouting, I've arrived and handing out leaflets for the latest crusades. He just went wherever the Father led him, wherever his heart pulled him to go. And, and we see him just dispensing grace and favor and love to needy, broken people who were disappointed, disappointed and rejected by the religious people. John the Baptist had come before Jesus and if you know anything about John the Baptist, he was a wild, crazy man. And he went into the wilderness of all places and started shouting, Repent! Repent! The kingdom of heaven is coming! Repent! That was John's message. John was raised up as a forerunner of Jesus a great man for his time, for his time. But Jesus came after John. Jesus was very different to John. Jesus didn't go into the wilderness shouting, repent, repent. Jesus came with the message of receive. Receive. Isn't it funny? Jesus met all kinds of people. All manner of people that were broken by life. Broken 
and messed up in their head and messed up and abandoned by others. All kinds, all manner of people. And the first words that they would hear from Jesus wasn't, repent, sinner. No, Luke 15 says, he received sinners to himself. He received them. He didn't command them to repent. He received them. And in that reception, in receiving sinners to himself, in receiving people that were estranged and people that were abandoned by the religious, in receiving them, he dispensed and he poured his grace upon them and his kindness flowed. And soon his reputation grew to the point that the, 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 the towns overflowed with people just to meet him. The, the, the houses that he went into was too small. He couldn't, he, wherever he went, people were following him. Why? Because they were just hungry to receive, receive. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, he went about doing good because that's what grace does. The first thing that you encounter when you meet Jesus is his grace and you understand it to be good. He went about doing good and when you go about doing good, you can't do anything bad, friends. Everything about Jesus was good. It was good. The first thing that you encountered about Jesus was the goodness Hit with goodness. When you met John, it was repent. And that was right for its time. But when you met Jesus, there was a flow of goodness and grace. He went about doing good and healing all. Healing all. You want to know what grace is? I tell you, it's impossible to describe it, but it involves being immersed in God's goodness. It involves in getting healing and becoming whole in your mind and in your body and in your soul. Grace, it's hard to define, but I tell you something now, it can meet every single need in this place a million times over. The goodness of God. Very often, we think that to get God's attention and to get God's pleasure, we have to repent. We've got to say sorry. And we get into this, this program of works. Sorry again. Sorry again. So sorry for doing that. So sorry for disobeying. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. But God's kindness and God's love doesn't come to us as a result of our repentance. It really doesn't. Jesus didn't tell anybody to repent. He met a woman once. She was thrown at his feet. He was in a temple, a really religious place. And I mean, when you talk about the time in which Jesus lived, you're talking about a really religious environment that was very strict and very rules-orientated. And this woman gets thrown at his feet. Men have grabbed her. She's been caught in the very act, in bed with another man, caught in the act of adultery. And she had to be stoned according to the law of Moses. And there's still some countries today that still do that, which I don't believe is right 
very wrong. They grabbed her, they threw it through Jesus, uh, through this woman at his feet, and they said, Hey, Jesus, the Lord of Moses says she's got to be stoned. What do you say? What are you going to do, Jesus? And Jesus turns around. He writes something on the floor, pretending he hadn't heard them. And, and, and suddenly they press him again. What are you going to do? The law says that, that she has got, to, has got to be stoned. She's got to die. Was that true? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. According to the law of Moses, that woman had to be stoned. But Jesus didn't come to deliver the law of Moses. Jesus came full of grace and truth. He wasn't going to deal with that situation with the law of Moses. He was going to deal with that situation with grace and truth. Thank God that Jesus didn't just come full of truth. Because if he had to tell some home truths about any one of our lives, we wouldn't be able to raise our head up. But the first time that you met Jesus, I guarantee it, you were immersed in his grace. You found favor in his sight. You became aware of his kindness and his love towards you. And grace transformed you. And truth said, I've set you free. That's what grace and truth does. Grace meets you first so that truth cannot condemn you. But this woman was in a, in a terrible plight of life. Jesus, as only he could, answers them with the wisdom of grace. And he says, He who has not sinned, Cast the first stone. And the Bible says they dropped their stones. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they left. They walked out. And suddenly this woman is left before him in the presence of abundant grace. What did he say? He didn't say, repent. What did he do? Are you saying that, Dave, are you saying that this woman didn't repent? No. Because repentance just simply means to change your mind. To change the way you think. What did he do? He says to her, he didn't say repent. Now this woman has committed what we would call, wow, a really bad sin. She's been sleeping with somebody's husband. And we're not just saying that that's okay. But what did Jesus do in this situation? He said this. Where are your accusers? Where? She says, nowhere, Lord. You see, grace is starting to work. Grace is starting to work. Nowhere, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then I believe with a big giant smile on his face because the Bible says that he was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellow man. Let me see if I can get a big smile. Smile back at me. Come on. Let's, let's see the smile that was on Jesus' face. With a big giant smile on his face. Not a scowl. Big smile. 
on his face, joy and victory in his heart. He says, now go and sin no more. Grace has, grace has, has forgiven you. Grace has empowered you. Grace has uh, disarmed your accusers and disarmed those who condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was the kindness of God that she met first before she changed her mind. And Paul makes this clear in Romans chapter 2. He says, it's the goodness of God that leads us to a change of mind. God in Christ, as he walked into people's homes, as he walked down the highways of, and the byways of life, dispensed the goodness of God. He went into the lepers' colonies where the religious would never go because they judged them as those who, who had been abandoned by God. Jesus went straight in there and dispensed the goodness of God and healed them and made them whole. He went into the most notorious of situations where sinners were and he just dispensed his goodness. And as he dispensed his goodness, there was a change of mind in people. There was a change of heart. These people that the law could not reach these people that the law of Moses banish, these people that the law of Moses continually reminded them that they were failures, Jesus went after them with a passion and with a heart of love, full of grace and full of truth and looking back at it all as a complete picture, John the Apostle, says, we beheld, we beheld glory. It was glory that we saw. It was glory that we saw when he healed that demoniac man. It was glory that we saw when, he, when that woman touched the edge of his robe. It was glory and goodness and grace that we saw outside of Lazarus's tomb when he called him out. It was glory that we saw when he, when he restored the life of that little child to Jairus. It was glory that we saw when, when he lifted the, 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 the son and gave him back to the widow of Nain. It was glory. It was glory, glory, grace upon grace, and it burst out of him. To the point that they queued around the block all night around the house of Peter's mother-in-law. And they were queuing and he was healing them all night. Glory, glory, glory of God. Being dispensed. Not repent. Receive. Receive. For this is my purpose. This is my purpose. This is the purpose that I was re revealed to destroy the work of the wicked one. And he dispensed it. And he healed them. And he delivered them. And they received his grace. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Right now, we're going to close. I'm just getting back into this. So much more. You see, it's the goodness of God. 
the abundant kindness of God on your life that causes you to change your mind about God. I remember one day, sat on the edge of my bed, and um, I was really disappointed with my performance as a Christian. I was a young Christian, well, maybe not so young. I've been a Christian maybe for 10 years, and I was really disappointed with my performance. I could see more failure in the mix than success. I could see more sin in the mix than righteousness. I could see a whole host of things in my life that would say, Dave, you're not a Christian. Just give it up, buddy. You tried your best. You tried your hardest. But the line was drawn and I was sat on the edge of my bed and I had a really frank, honest conversation with God. And it was really simple. I said, I was in my mum's house, in the bedroom, tears coming down my cheeks. I said, God, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate it. Three times. Three times I said it. And meant it. And then suddenly, you know, things catch up with you. And you think, oh my God, why did I just say that? Because I had enough sense to know that God listens to what we say. And immediately my mind started to get flooded and bombarded with those thoughts that so often we can have guilty thoughts, threatening thoughts. God's not pleased with you. God's angry with you. You shouldn't have said that you hate your life. Life is precious. Life has been given by God. I started to feel guilty. And that added to the situation that I was feeling, the bad way in which I was feeling. And I remember a little Bible on the bed. My God, I tell you something now, you can't make this up for people. This is how God loves us. This is how God loves us. And I picked it up and I looked at it. And I thought, I'm going to open this. I'm going to open this Bible. And I'm going to go like this and put my finger on the page. And I want you to speak to me, God. I want you to speak to me. Now, it's a dangerous thing to do. I don't advise it. Because what if my finger had landed on the verse that said, and Judas went out and hung himself? That would not have been good. So I don't advise it. But God knew I needed a word. God knew I was desperate. And the Bible says that his eye is on the sparrow. And he knows 
every hair that's numbered on your head because he's counted them, because he looks over you and he dotes at you. He loves you with a passion. And he knew that I needed help. He knew that I needed a word of light and life into my darkness. I opened the Bible. I'll try and get it for you. And I went there. And I looked at it. And my eyes fell on these words from John. Never forgot them. Never, ever forgot that night. John chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus speaking. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Suddenly, I became aware of how grace came into the room. Grace immersed me in kindness. The Spirit was speaking to me. I had spoken to God and said, oh God, I hate my life. And God, in all of his grace and all of his glory and all of his goodness, responded to me and said, Dave, it's okay. It's right that you hate your life because in hating your life, you will find my life. It's access into this grace that I have for you. And that night, not everything immediately was put right. But it just meant that I knew that I was holding his hand, walking down this road of life with him to help me. Amen. Maybe today you're here. And maybe you've been sending out a distress signal from your heart. What's this all about, man? What's this life all about? What's my life about? You feel empty inside. We've all been there. Every single one of us in this room have been there. Right now, I want to give you an opportunity to just open the door of your heart to pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come and take residence inside your life. He will comfort you. He will forgive you. He will immerse you in this wonderful goodness of his grace. The Bible says, if you call, listen, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. Make the call. You're not going to get an answer phone. You're not going to have to leave a message. You've got God's absolute attention right now. When you pray this prayer, let's close our eyes and pray for those who may just want to ask Jesus into their heart right now. Just whisper this prayer with me in your heart. Just say, Jesus, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you love me. You love me. I believe that you died for me. I believe 
that you want to save me. You want to make me alive in this relationship with you. So I accept it. I put my trust and my faith in what you have done on the cross for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you quickly slip your hand up? We'll see it. That's it. Well done. This hand's going up. That's it. Keep your hands up. We want to give you a little Bible. That's all. That's it. Well done, my love. It takes courage. But I remember being in a tent in a field, crying my eyes out. A man prayed with me in Bilth Wells, and I put my hand up. I said, yeah, I'd like Jesus to be my friend. I'd like Jesus to save me. That was 31 years ago. And he's been the best friend that I've ever had. He'll never leave you. (laughs) He never, ever will leave you. He's wonderful. That's it. Keep your hands up. Could we get some Bibles just to... These guys, great. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Lee. And I tell you now, we would love you to be a part of this home. Love to say hello to you after this service. Have a cup of tea. But church, let's stand up this morning. We are in the presence of one who is not examining our performance. It's not about what we can do for God. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's full of grace, full of truth. We thank you, Jesus.